Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how many animals Noah really took of each kind on the ark and how none of the animals or people in the ark died. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. When we are faced with God's invitations, we will face a conflict between our will versus God's will, and we must yield our will to God's will. Thy will be done. When Noah went into the ark to be saved from the flood, Noah was going to God. See, that's the same for us when we went to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved from our sins. What was the way for Noah to endure all that time in the ark? It was the presence of God. That's the way. So whether it's Moses in the desert, or whether it's Noah in the ark, or it's us in a hardship in life, God puts us in. It's the same motto. Anywhere with God, nowhere without God. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study in the book of Genesis. And then God looked at Abraham for a response. And without staggering in unbelief, Abraham just believed God. Abraham said, there's nothing impossible for God. So, okay, God's able to do that. If God wants to do that, he can do that. So it says in the Bible that Abraham considered not his own body, his own dead body that was good as dead, and Abraham considered that what God had said, and he said, I'm not looking at myself, I'm putting all my confidence in God. God said that, I have confidence in God. And when God saw that Abraham put his confidence in God, and his confidence was that God could overcome any obstacle, even the deadness of he and his wife's body to have children, then God, it says, counted it to him for righteousness. It's an interesting word, chasab. And it has been translated throughout the Old Testament with words like think. It's been translated the word think. So God thought on Abraham to be righteous. Impute, it has been translated that that word. Impute, esteem, value. It means that when Abraham believed that God was going to make his seed to be a number like the stars that he was looking at, that God saw Abraham as righteous. It was not a righteousness that came from Abraham. It was a righteousness that God counted or accounted onto Abraham. And the whole of Romans chapter 4 is dedicated to explaining all this. And explains this special type of righteousness, which is called a righteousness of faith. A righteousness of faith. And it's a righteousness that is imputed or put upon by God on a person who believes God, who has confidence in God, who believes that God raised up Jesus from the dead. So what did God see in Noah that caused him to say in verse 1, For thee have I seen righteous before me of this generation? God saw Noah believed God, that Noah had confidence in God. And every swing of the hammer was Noah's affirmation that he had confidence in God. So when it says in Genesis 6.22, Thus did Noah according to all that commanded him, so did he. And in Genesis 7.5, the Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. That was what God saw. 
He saw the evidence of his confidence in God, and therefore he imputed him for righteousness. That was the obedience that God saw that caused him to say, For thee have I seen righteous in this generation. Now, we come to verse 2, and we're told that God told Noah to take seven clean beasts and two unclean beasts. Now, why did God tell Noah to bring seven clean animals and two unclean into the ark? Turn, if you would, to Genesis 8.20. Genesis 8.20, where it says, so now he's coming out of the ark. Noah's coming out of the ark. And what does it say he did? First thing, he comes out of the ark in Genesis 8.20, and it says, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, let's think about this. God knew that when Noah would leave the ark, that Noah's heart would be filled or overwhelmed with gratitude toward God, and that Noah would want to give a present to God. He'd want to give an offering to God. He'd want to express something to God. Noah would want to be like Abel and make an animal offering to God. And God knew that when Noah would emerge from the ark, and that when Noah would see all that God had saved Noah from, that Noah would want to give himself to God. See, God knew that. It was going to come into Noah's heart. And he would want to express that by the giving of whole burnt offerings, he wanted to give himself wholly to God. So God provided for Noah to make those offerings by having Noah bring these seven clean animals into the ark. Now, what do we see God doing, therefore, in Genesis 7-2? God was anticipating Noah's desire to make a gift to God, and then God was providing Noah with the offering in advance. So when Noah emerged from the ark and looked all around him, Noah saw what he had been saved from. There's a lot of death around And so he had been saved from the judgment. And Noah saw also what he had been saved for, because Noah looked at a new earth there. So when Noah looked all around and saw what God had saved him from, Noah said, that was the mercy of God to me. When Noah said those words, that was the mercy of God. And he looked around and he saw this great earth which had been cleansed, and as a new earth, he saw what God had saved him for. And Noah said, the fact that I'm the only one alive here with my family, that's the mercy of God to me. See, I was saved from the judgment. That was the mercy of God to me. I was saved for the, That was the mercy of God. So all those times he's saying, these are the mercies of God. And whenever you and I are like Noah, and we see the mercies of God in our lives, like Noah did, Whenever you and I are like Noah and we consider what God has saved us from, the judgment of our sins, in other words, an eternity in hell, then like Noah, we say, that's the mercy of God to me. And whenever you and I are like Noah and consider what God has saved us for, to be with God forever, an eternity in heaven, then like Noah, we say, that's the mercy of God. And like Noah, with these mercies of God, we have only one reasonable response, and that's Romans 12, 1, where he says, uh, Paul says, 
I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, in other words, what you should do after you think about it, your reasonable service or worship. So God knew that when Noah emerged from the ark, that Noah should take time and consider the mercy of God and what God saved Noah from, and that Noah should take time and consider the mercy of God for what God had saved Noah for. And if Noah took that time to consider those mercies of God, then God knew that Noah would say, I wish I had more clean animals so that I could make a whole burnt offerings to God. So for that time, for that time when Noah would look for more clean animals, more than two of the clean animals that God said to Noah, don't worry, Noah, I got you covered. That Now you know why I told you to bring seven clean animals on the ark. So what's important about this? God never commanded Noah to make those burnt offerings. That was Noah's decision. That was Noah's decision. That was Noah's reasonable service after he thought about it and reasoned. That was the conclusion. God never commands us to make offerings to him. That's our free will choice. It's our reasonable response to the mercies of God that he has shown us. And just as God provided for Noah his offerings, God has given to us money, possessions, time to give to him to express the giving of ourselves to him. He never forces us to give ourselves to him. He never forces us to give our money and our possessions to him, our time. That's our free will choice. That comes as the reasonable response that we make to his mercies. And if Noah thought about it, Noah would have said, you know, I mean, I'm giving these to God, but really, it's not that big a deal because I'm really offering these animals to God, but these are all God's animals he told me to bring anyways. And that's true. That's true. Because God put them under Noah's control those animals. God entrusted those animals to Noah. God did not have to do that and trust that, but God did. And Noah did not have to make those animal sacrifices to God, but Noah did. And the same is true for us. We don't actually own anything. We say we own things, but we don't, we've only been entrusted with things. You know, God is watching us to see if we'll be faithful with what he's entrusted to us. You know what we're like? We're like bank tellers. We handle a lot of money. We don't own the money, but we handle the money. And the bank teller doesn't own that money, and, but he's been trusted with the money. He better not act like he owns the money, otherwise he goes to prison. And, so, <laughs> and that's like us. We're like bank tellers. So when we look at Genesis 7-2 and, and, and Genesis 8-20, we see that Noah offered to God what God provided to Noah. And King David expressed this so well when he had all of these great riches, the gold, the silver, and everything ready to build the temple. And he put it all together, and he looks at it all, and he says, boy, I'm a rich man. Look at all the stuff I gave. He didn't say that at all. What he did say in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, as he looked it over, is he said, who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? And then he said these words. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. 
And so when Noah made those offerings to God, he could have said the same thing. These clean animals that I'm offering are animals that you gave me to offer. So what am I, who am I, that I should be able to offer these animals? For all things come from God, and from God's own have I given him these animals. Now, when we think of how God provided Noah for the offerings that he would need, we think of that walk up Mount Moriah of Abraham and the father with his son Isaac, the one in danger of being killed if a sacrifice, a substitution was not provided to take Isaac's place. And Abraham knew that a substitutional sacrifice was needed for Isaac. Actually, he believed that either that or God was going to raise him from the dead. But Abraham, thinking about a substitution, he didn't know if it was going to be by substitution or by resurrection. But if it was going to be by substitution, he didn't know where that was going to come from. But he knew what he told his son when his son asked him about where is the sacrifice in Genesis 22.7. And it says that Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire of the wood. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, and these are the words, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. So just like God provided the clean animals for Noah to sacrifice, God provided the ram on the top of Mount Moriah that Abraham didn't know anything about to sacrifice until the time. We desperately needed a sacrifice for our sins. Just like Abraham, we had no idea about that sacrifice. But all of Isaiah 53 is a description of the Lord Jesus Christ being made the sacrifice for us. And the whole concept of him as our provided sacrifice is what is expressed in the 10th verse of Isaiah 53, where it says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. So that's what God did. Then our part. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So just like God provided for Noah, the seven clean animals, the first part of Isaiah 53.10, but it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. That's God providing the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. And just like it was Noah's decision to offer those sacrifices when he got off, that's the next part of Isaiah 53.10, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Now, we could ask the question about how many animals was that that he took on to there? Well, all the animals we see today, they were not existing during that time. As a matter of fact, today we see the results of speciation or the blossoming out of species. That's the real evolution. You know, we hear the term evolution, we go, oh, you know. But it's just like we hear the word gay and we go, oh, no. Those are hijacked terms because evolution is a wonderful biological mechanism that God has instituted for not only the survival of the species, but the speciation of the species, the blossoming, the formation, but not the formation of new species. The bird doesn't come from the polywog. <laughs> so in order to have this speciation, Noah only had to take what's called the wild types. In other words, having full genetic complement. For example, a wolf from a wolf. You can get the Chihuahua and you can get the St. Bernard and all the other dogs in between, including the French Poodle and the Standard Poodle for that matter. Anyway, so it's a small number of animals that he had to take. It's a good thing because he had to take a year's supply. But he only took two clean animals. Now, if you only took two clean animals, what does that tell you about the mortality rate during the one-year trip? There wasn't any. They all, they all lived. Well, that's amazing. So he didn't have to worry about corpse and dead animals. 
You know, they just all lived. That was a miracle. That was a miracle. We have dead animals all the time. Anyway, none died during that time. So that's similar to what the Lord said in John 18, 9, when he said, Of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. And he speaks about in John 10, 29, that no man is able to pluck the believers out of the Father's hand. And Noah must have been amazed. Well, you do one year, open the door, he's, he's doing his tally, he's walking, checking them off, instead of coming off, whoop, two of them, two of them, two of them, two of them, what do you know? And that's the way we're going to feel, the amazement of it all, when we get to heaven and see Noah didn't lose any animals, and neither did God lose any of those who come to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would take, Lord, the, the lessons from your, from your verses and impress them upon our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom, today you talked about how God provided the clean animals for Noah to sacrifice. What significance is that to us today? It's very important because God knew that Noah needed a sacrifice when he got off the ark. And so therefore, he provided for him in advance by having the clean animals there. You know, it's, it's, it's so interesting because he had him take these clean animals and then he gets off the ark and he says, I, I need to make a sacrifice to God. And he says to himself, oh yeah, I have seven of the clean animals. I have two of all the other ones, but I have seven of the clean animals. Oh, I understand now why God had me put onto the ark seven clean animals. See, that was showing the provision of God. And It's very, very important when we consider that because we are sinners and our sin demands a sacrifice. That's Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. We need an atonement for our souls. We need, it says in Isaiah 59, that our sins have separated us between us and our God. And so we need an atonement to bring us back together with God. We can't just wake up one morning and say, you know what? I'm tired of being separated from God and isolated from God. I think I would just like to call on God and just uh, let's just get back together again. No, something has to be done. God says you need an atonement. You need a sacrifice for your souls. And then the wonderful word in Leviticus 17, 11 is the word given. God says, in other words, you could picture him with Noah. Noah's getting on the ark and, and, and God maybe says to Noah, Noah, you are going to need clean animals to sacrifice. I have given you these clean animals for you to sacrifice. It's amazing. Exactly what Noah needed, God gave him. In the same way, God knows that we have sinned. God knows that we are separated from him. God knows that if we do not reconcile with God, if we not get an atonement, then we'll spend an eternity in hell, which is the most horrible, unimaginable thought, far worse than a Holocaust than you could possibly imagine. He knows that we have a need to, to for the atonement, so he has given it to us. He said, I've given it to you upon the altar. See, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the gift of God in Isaiah 9, 6, where it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And in this Leviticus 17, 11, I have given it to you, the blood, on the altar to make an atonement for your souls. He says, this is so interesting when Isaac is going up the hill with Abraham to Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, 7 through 8. 
And Isaac asks this profound question. He says, Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? We stop right there. He says, Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? It's such a profound question. Ever since Isaac asked that question thousands of years ago, it's been reverberating down through the centuries. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb for making an atonement for my souls? And it was this question that Isaac asked with this profound question just keep reverberating over and over and over again until finally the question was answered for the last time it was coming out again. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And then stands up John the Baptist and says, behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And there he was, and he was provided by God. And that's what Abraham told his son Isaac on Genesis 22, 8. When he answered Isaac's question, he said, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And then it says, so they went both of them together. And so these, so who is God? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is the Lamb of God? He is the gift of God. You see, when it says in, in, during the offering, uh, Solomon said in First Chronicles twenty nine fourteen, he said, For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. So when we go and make the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, his soul, our offering for sin, and present him as our sacrifice, what are we doing? We're only presenting what he's given to us, like Solomon said, all things, including the Lord Jesus Christ, come of thee and of thine own, have we given thee. And so it's a righteousness that God gives us, which is by faith, and says in Romans ten six, the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Nobody could pull Christ down from heaven. But God had to give him, and he did in John 3.16, where where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When When it says this, that God gave his Son, his only begotten Son, it's going back to Noah, where he provided the seven clean animals for Noah to sacrifice. When we speak of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he says he came down to not to do his own will, but the will of him that sent him, how did he come? He came down. He came down because he was given, and he, he came down in his own. No one pulled him down, and we come, therefore, to God, and we make his soul our offering for sin. We do not make our works our offering for sin, because it says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. In other words, and that not from yourselves. In other words, not something that you had yourself. It says it is the gift of God. The salvation is the gift of God. For by grace are you saved. You are saved. And that uh, wonderful 
uh, wonderful gift of being saved is the gift of God. And then it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, we don't bring to God our works for salvation because our works are as filthy rags, as it says in Isaiah 64, 6. And that's all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Everything that we think is so good and such a nice gift and God's really going to be impressed and wait till I show God this, God he has to hold his nose and just about vomit at how disgusting it is because the righteousness that is of Christ is nothing uh, to be compared with our righteousness, which are as filthy rags. In other words, his righteousness is supreme. Ours is tainted with sin. And so what happens is that we are saved by the gift of God. But he gives this gift, he makes it available to us, and just like Solomon, when he said, for all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. So in other words, when they made that offering, God entrusted all of those riches to the people, and then, but it was their decision as to whether or not they were going to give it. But when they did give it, they acknowledged that they what they had came from God anyways, in the same way with salvation. He makes it available to us, but it's our decision, each one individually, whether or not we will receive the Lord Jesus Christ and make his soul our offering that we give to God, make his soul our offering for sin. But when we do do it, it's just like those in Solomon's days. We are actually giving back to God what he gave us. He gave us, just like he gave to Noah the clean animals to offer to him. He gave us the Lord Jesus Christ that we offer to him, and therefore then we are saved. Thank you for joining us today. Tom Cantor taught us today how God provided a clean sacrifice for Noah, and God has provided the perfect sacrifice for us today. Now, we need to share that sacrifice that God has given us with those around us, especially God's lost nation of Jewish people. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? And would you like to give them a free gospel gift from Israel Restoration Ministries? Well, we'll provide that for you free. And you've got two options here. One, you can go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Fill out the online form and have that gift directly sent to you or to them and it's free. So friendshipwithgod.org, fill out the online form, or you can call us directly by phone at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or again, go to friendshipwithgod.org. You can sign up for a free gospel gift, or you can sign up for Tom Cantor's newsletter and his daily devotional verse while you're there. Friendshipwithgod.org or 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow.